on today's Tales from the Hook, we have the badass Ashley Kalazuk from Alberta, Canada. Ashley has been running cranes for over a decade now, mobile and crawler cranes, and I am so pleased to have her on the show. I am proper, proper fangirling to have this conversation because she is one of the most badass women I've ever seen in my life. This podcast has been very kindly sponsored by our friends over at Libra. If you want to find out more about Libra's products or brilliant innovations, please click the link at the bottom. Hello, Ashley, and welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. What nobody can see is you've got your bull terrier in your arms, who is the sweetest thing ever. But I'll I'll try not to get too distracted on that, because um, because it is he's too cute. He's far too cute. Ashley, I want to right. You are so badass. Everything you do is epic. Your photography is amazing. Your crane operating is amazing. Everything that I've seen you do is out of this world. So I want to get started on how you got into it. You've been a crane operator since 2009. So a good a good wedge of your life now. And when you went to school, did you always want to be a crane operator? Or what were you thinking during that time? No, like honestly, growing up, and this is going to sound really weird, I wanted to be a coroner. So I wanted... <laughs> to get into like the medical examiner stuff, like, you know, figuring out cause of death. And so I figured that I would start in some sort of like enforcement services. So to get into that, I ended up working for Brinks, which is an armed vehicle company. So I was like driving around downtown Vancouver with millions of dollars and guns and bricks of gold. And it was just like movie stuff. It sounds fun, but it was pretty repetitive after a while and then from there that dream of being a coroner kind of just like fizzled a bit and then I just randomly decided to get into the trades it wasn't anything planned it wasn't a goal and it wasn't even meant to be long term but I just applied for a entry-level position one day as a scaffolder and I sent the email off like trying to apply for this job and then I literally googled what is scaffolding because I didn't even know (laughs) and then they hired me so I got a bunch of safety tickets and showed up in Fort McMurray at an oil sand site and everything just kind of cascaded after that you were so you were working as a scaffolder as well yeah I did it for about two years um it definitely wasn't a trade for me (laughs) But uh, from there, I ended up just getting like a a Zoom Boom ticket, like a telehandler forklift. And even then, I hardly even wanted to use that ticket. Like I am was very resistant to change growing up. So I got this ticket, never expected to use it. And then one day at work, this guy who was their operator for that piece of equipment, just didn't show up which was pretty common for him so they're like Ashley we heard you have a ticket they're like go out back and practice and I'm like what do you mean practice and then on my way to go to where I was supposed to go to practice I got a call on the radio from Mammut that's like 
crane company wanting to move their giant steel rig mats. And I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And so this isn't even something that's on dunnage. This is something that's just flat on the ground and heavy. And then, yeah, that's how I basically started out in equipment. That, <laughs> I never knew you had a, a stint as a scaffolder. So that, that's, I mean, I see, I'm, I'm even more impressed now because I don't think I could go out scaffolding. Yeah, it was, it was tough. I would like, my hands would just seize up in the middle of the night. I would wake oh. up like two in the morning and my hands would just be stuck into fists. And I would have to spend about 10 minutes trying to like work, open them back up. And then, yeah, one day I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh my. And then how did you move from, from all that into cranes? How did that was- come around? Another just absolute fluke situation where um, when I was on that job running the Zoom Boom, uh, they ended up indenturing me into the mobile crane like and got me a blue book. They're like, well, you can use some of your hours from this towards being a crane operator. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. I guess I'll have the blue book, but I don't really want to be a crane operator. Like, I'm fine just doing this. Like, just another example of me, like, refusing to move up and then... <laughs> So I got the blue book and I'm just like, whatever, that can just sit on my desk at home. And then I ended up on this other job and a uh, spot opened up to operate a carry deck, like this little 15 ton crane. And they're like, we heard you have a blue book. And I'm like, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, go out back and practice. And like, so literally the whole story of my career into becoming a crane operator is just being told to go out back and practice. <laughs> <laughs> At least they give you that, I suppose, the practice time. What, what's what's a blue book, Ashley? Oh, okay. So a blue book is the start of the apprenticeship process in Alberta. So a company will indenture you. And then, well, this is the way it was back in 09. I think things might have changed a little bit, but it's probably pretty similar. But you would get a blue book. And a blue book would be where you would track all of your hours, right. your schooling and stuff like that. So a standard apprenticeship for mobile crane in Alberta is three years. And over that three-year period, every single year, you have to collect 1,500 hours. And you have to go to school during your first year and your third year. And even if it, within mm. that one year time frame, you get all 1500 hours, like say you got them in six months and you've already been to school, you still have to wait until your anniversary date right. to become a second year. And then once you finish your third year of schooling, um, you do a journeyman test. And then right after that, you do a red seal test. Wow, and okay. The red seal test is really weird i remember the first question on my exam was something about oxyacetylene torches and i'm just like what trade am i in for right now i'm like <laughs> and, yeah have i come to the right place <laughs> yeah so then yeah then you just write those tests and then then you become like a ticketed red seal tradesperson. and at that point is when i stopped resisting my career and progressing and then i actually finally felt like this super incredible sense of accomplishment and pride in what i was doing and that's when i was like okay i can do more and then actually embraced it from that point forward that's, do you know what it's just so different to how we do our ticketing and everything here 
And I knew it was different. I never quite understood how things work in Canada with tickets or, or even in the US. It just seems like such a more lengthy process than we have. And when mm-hmm. you when you say you go to school in year one and year three, is that like, what, what are they teaching you? Is that every day you have to turn up for school kind of thing or? Yeah, so um, they've changed it a little bit. They've made it a little bit more user-friendly now. But when I went to first year crane school, it was literally like crane boot camp. It was four weeks long. You went every single day and you went like you're in school for eight hours a day and you had all different topics from like rigging and load charts and you would have to calculate sling tensions and hitch capacities. And there was so much math. And then we also had uh, practical hands-on stuff where we had like like a Tadano RT, a Liber, like AT. And then we had this really big old clunky link belt friction crawler. And yeah, it was insane. And even before you went to school, you had to complete like this one week's worth of pre-study that would be marked before you even got to go to class. And it was an intense four weeks. Like it was go to school all day and then go home and do homework all night. And I think they've added a f- couple extra weeks now to make it a lot wow. easier on the students. So that is that sounds cr- compared to what we have in the UK. <laughs> that sounds crazy, but it. Do- I mean, it sounds brilliant because you obviously come out of all of this knowing what you're doing, kind of inside out. And I think from my point of view they kind of although I did go through an apprenticeship so my process was a little bit longer we don't have to go through apprenticeship we can go and pay for a ticket and go like practicing for two weeks and then you've got a trained operator ticket which technically you can go and operate any crane you want and then you have to work 300 hours and turn it into a competent operator ticket so ours is kind of like very basic i would say compared to yours and and i wouldn't imagine there's anywhere near as much maths as what you did so so it's always so fascinating to me and this whole kind of journeyman red seal thing so you're as a red seal operator you're like top of your game yeah um i think the red seal is integrated into most of the apprenticeships now um they just coincide and you finish the red seal test same day but uh, I think uh, prior to that, the, the Red Seal was separate. So there are some tradespeople within the province that actually don't have the Red Seal. They just have their journeyman ticket. But yeah, the Red Seal is like, it's a very, it's a very high credential. It's, um, it just shows that you've like gone above and beyond like to learn your, your trade and just yeah i think alberta really definitely puts out some very high class high quality skilled tradespeople. that's awesome it's it's it to me it's just fascinating what you do and um you're so you're mobile crane qualified yeah can you with with your tickets i'm guessing you can operate kind of any size of crane or is it it's not restricted or yeah so i think that's also a big part of um the alberta apprenticeship program and how in-depth it goes is when you finish with your mobile crane ticket is you can operate any crane and any size of crane so i could go run an lr 1600 i could go run a tower crane like a picker truck all of it 
But if somebody were to do an apprenticeship in Alberta, but they did it for boom trucks specifically or tower cranes specifically, they can be grandfathered into, I think it's their second or third year of the mobile crane apprenticeship, but they still have to go do that third year of schooling to actually operate mobile cranes. So my ticket is like all encompassing and the other tickets, they have to work up to the mobile crane. That's awesome. So you can do crawler, mobile, tower, anything you fancy. Yeah, so I've I've ran quite a bit of crawler. Um, I've never done tower crane. I, I don't like heights and I feel like yeah. I would get such a gross sense of vertigo looking down <laughs> all day. But when I was in school and we had to operate that really old friction crane, I thought it was so pointless. I was like, nobody has these cranes anymore. Alberta's phased them out. Why are we wasting our time with this friction crane? And then I ended up actually like relocating my life out to British Columbia where they have so many friction cranes. And I showed up to this pile driving company that does a lot of operating and piles like in the ocean on barges and stuff. And yeah, they had a whole fleet of those link belt cranes that I ran in school. They're like, can you run this? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> You're like, move aside, I've got this. <laughs> just like, me. Yeah, it was <laughs> awesome. So it's like, it just came full circle and it was just wild. But a lot of the, most apprentices now, they don't get to experience the friction, which, I mean, it's great they get to experience a crane that's more relevant, but it's it's an art form operating a friction crane. And what, what kind of size of cranes have you run, Ashley? I've seen I, photos of you and some fairly substantial ones. <laughs> They probably just looked bigger than what they really were, but um, the my biggest would be a Liebherr LR 1200, so 200 metric ton. Um, I think it had like two, just over 200 feet of boom in it, like 203 or 204. And yeah, I was rebuilding a pump station at this tank farm about like two hours east of where I live right now. It was a pretty good job. Um, and it was a it was a smaller scale crane job, so we didn't have uh, active supervision out there. So it was also it was a good opportunity for me to like get some crawler seat time, but also a lot of self management because I didn't have the steady support that you would typically have like from a crane and rigging supervisor. So yeah, that was a a very good project for professional growth. It's it's, oh, it's sorry, I find it really fascinating, and I think. From my understanding of how you guys operate in Canada, in terms of maintaining the crane and kind of fixing things when they go wrong, I believe you're a lot more hands-on than we would be in the UK. What happens in the UK is like we work for a large company, you're kind of working on site in the center of London or whatever, something goes wrong, you pick up your phone, you're like, something's gone wrong. Can somebody come out and look at it? They send someone out and it gets fixed. And you generally, apart from explaining the issue, you know, something's leaking, um, something's happening, ropes are twisted, we need to get someone on this. They come out and they sort it for us. Yeah, that's, uh, we have a, that, like, a, we do have that. We've got a great support system of heavy duty mechanics in Alberta. But uh, when it comes to, like, when you just said, like, twisted rope, like, for the most part, like a mechanic will assist, but usually the operator that 
made the rope twist is the one who's pulling the drum off and then like you know hammering it back and it's usually you'll have like three crane operators and a mechanic and you're like respooling the drum or if you're like when i was out at that job with no actual crane supports it's like you're on the phone and trying to like troubleshoot yourself because the mechanic is two hours away and right. the job still has to go on um we do all of our own greasing um yeah so it's, there is a lot of hands-on but we we still do have really great mechanics here oh brilliant yeah i was i was i was always wondering like because i knew you kind of your education in cranes was massively longer than ours and i was like they must be a lot more hands-on than we are because they because just the amount of time that you spent studying i mean we i feel what we get is we kind of get an overview and a baseline and you pick the rest up as you go along the longer you're yeah. sat in a crane you diagnose and you get a feel for it and you pick up things that might be wrong and you figure out what's leaking what's not working and and kind of you learn that way on the job rather than actual information that's given to you we could get the manual out the huge manual flick through and try and figure it out yeah it's um it's no i think it's brilliant and i i mean what from operating mobile cranes crawler cranes to these on these cool sites in the middle of canada which i just have a really in my head it's all amazing up there and canada's just this cool place where people are just roaming around badass on cranes getting things done but um <laughs> it might that's how it is in my head ashley <laughs> that's how it lives that's how you live in my head and um but you you're you're like really badass in other ways so you're you drive a motorcycle you photography you you take photos of women on motorcycles yeah it's uh yeah it's like when you really break down everything i do or have done i guess it does seem pretty badass but for me it's just like <laughs> my little life story but yeah so it's i got into motorcycles uh i was back in like 2014 or something like that and i just I went into a Harley Davidson dealership to buy a t-shirt one day and I saw this bike sitting there and I forgot to buy the t-shirt, but I bought the motorcycle. <laughs> and then from there, I just, everything about it was just so inspiring. There's this feeling when you're on a motorcycle that I can only describe as the feeling when you're dead focused in the middle of a big lift operating a crane. It's like, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life or what the stresses are or anything. Like when you're in the middle of a lift, mm -hmm. the only thing that matters is like just that moment and you're just disconnected from the world around you and just immersed in what's directly in front of you. And that was the same feeling I got on a motorcycle, except instead of it being like, you know, an 80 foot long spool in the middle of nowhere, it was like Joshua Tree, like at sunset in California, you know, just like these amazing views and places that a motorcycle can take you and then from there I just got really inspired by women who ride because it's just you know coming from the trade where it's very male dominated then going to this like hobby that's very male dominated where you walk into a gas station to pick up a bottle of water and you're dressed as if you're riding and people think you're coming off the back of your boyfriend's bike or something and you're <laughs> like no like that dyna out there is mine and 
so yeah, I just got really inspired to tell the story of women who ride motorcycles just across Canada and the U.S. and just wherever it took me. It, they, those photos are really amazing. I, I've I've seen you post some of them, and they're just so beautiful. And that, to be honest, that goes for all your photography. I saw your rodeo stuff that you put <laughs> up earlier this week, and your ability to capture that moment to place people and and i mean as a you know someone looking at your photography it's almost like i can feel what's going on like especially yeah. like the rodeo ones and the motorcycle i can feel like i can smell it almost if that makes sense their expressions i mean your your photography is next level i mean how did that come into it ashley have you have you always been a, doing a bit of photography on the side or um, I have, I have a picture of me. I must have been about two, two years old or something. And my parents gave me this toy camera. And then like, I just would walk around pretending to take pictures with this toy camera. And then I remember getting a little bit older, like into elementary school. And I got a real camera, like with film, like 35 mil film. And, and then I just, Everywhere we go, I would bring this camera and I would just document. Like, I remember going to the middle of British Columbia with my grandma once to go visit these hot springs. And I just, I had to document this whole trip. Like, I remember this deer standing in the middle of the highway on this foggy morning and just stuff like that. And just things that most kids, you know, wouldn't really care to do. But I was like, I just want to take pictures. And then when I got into high school, I was in the yearbook club and I would take all these pictures for the yearbook. And that sounds so nerdy, but it got me extra credit so I could graduate early. <laughs> but yeah, and then I always had like a DSLR camera after that. And I don't know, it's just, I would sit in my crane and read books on how to properly expose and meter for light and stuff like that. And then when I would go back home after my rotation, I would actually practice everything I read about. So. I'm 100% self-taught just through tutorials wow. and books and yeah. That, I mean, that just shows how much passion you have for it. And I mean, what you're doing now, which people won't know, is you, you've turned this into a business, haven't you? You're doing construction photography? Yeah, so I spent the last year and a half operating a crane, like a 100-ton Tidano out at this... Uh, coal plant that they're converting into gas power so it's a big project uh, some really cool lifts going on there spent a year and a half there i had to take september off for uh some healing time for a surgery and while i was off uh, they cut some cranes which is just part of the business and in that moment i was just like you know what i'm gonna do this i've been doing photography on the side for years and years and years and though I have had some incredible successes through that, like with being published and working with some very reputable companies and, you know, a lot of stuff I'm very proud of. It's never received the full attention that it deserves. And I know that I could build it into something great. So I was just like, you know what? I got laid off from that job. It's come to an end. That chapter's done. And we're going to venture into self-employment now. I mean, that's that. I mean, that's brave, though. Actually, I mean, to step into that. I mean, I get, you know, photography is a sideline, doing it as well as screen operating, but to step out and go, no, this is me now, this is what I'm doing, that's really brave. And how's it going for you? Um, 
it 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 definitely is brave because it feels so scary like i have days where i'm just like this is the best decision i've ever made like i can do this i'm gonna make it and then i have days where i'm like you are a hack who do you think you are like this like just go check the job board see if there's some crane jobs but then i'm like no like no like stop being so ridiculous and because i guess it's sort of like just that instant gratification and wanting like immediate success but if you really break down what i've been able to accomplish in the first five weeks like i am probably doing better than most would be i have some pretty cool jobs on the books um yeah i'm just i'm really proud of myself and how far i've come as scary as it is to start (laughs) have you only been doing it five weeks now yeah five that's weeks that's amazing that's i mean because yeah. I, I remember you starting it up and you you sending me your instagram and things and i can't believe it's only been five weeks but you i've seen your photos popping up and obviously these new sessions that you've been going on and they, they smash it every where, where can better tell people where they can find it ashley where can people find <laughs> your photography so on instagram it's construct dot y-e-g um and then i'm probably going to be finishing up my website this weekend so it'll probably be done by the time you post this up so it'll be constructyeg.com and yeah that's uh that's my little business story no i think i i well i I think it will go fantastic for you i can't see how it how it won't to be honest because all your photos are amazing um something you touched on earlier when you were talking about these male-dominated spaces and it got me thinking, so you kind of moved into construction, very male-dominated. Uh, motorcycles, male-dominated. Again, like you said, most people thought you were riding on the back of your, your boyfriend's motorcycle. How did that that kind of first moment stepping onto a construction site feel? Because obviously it wasn't the coroner job you wanted and it was a bit different to what you were doing before. So how, how did that go for you? Um, honestly, I walked onto my first construction site, like your very typical naive green person. I was just like, you know, everything's just sunshine and rainbows and big smile on my face. And I'm just going to be nice to everybody. Um, and like, so I didn't even like, I did a very basic safety course which is mandatory to be on any construction site in Alberta it's called CSTS and it's eight hours of like use three-point contact on a ladder and stuff like that but the amount of stuff that happened on my first day on a construction site it was insane like I stepped on a tarp and I didn't know that you're not supposed to step on a tarp and I fell through the ground and I ended up with two pieces of rebar on each side of my leg like insane and then later that day my first day on a construction site barely even knew what cranes were i saw rigging break on a heavy lift of a beam it just snapped it sounded like a gunshot and then at the end of the day i was standing talking to some people on my crew and this spud wrench landed right beside my foot and it had fallen from 60 feet above me from an aerial platform and i was just like wait a second, (laughs) this isn't like, you know, your average job. And then, yeah, it was just a major wake up call. It's so, yeah, I 
<laughs> it sounded like you you skipped death about three times in one day, which is quite impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just seeing your other dog's head pop up. It's like that. What's going on? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I know. The other, one's, the other one's barking. Can we take a quick pause? Yeah, of course you can. Of course you can. You can edit this part out, right? Yeah, definitely. That's what I said. Yeah, okay. we, we cut it out. Because he's just going to bark the whole time and then I'll no, just. No, no, like, do what you need to do, Ashley. Seriously, do what you need to do. I'll be right back. I'll still I'll still be here. I'll... <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm ready. You good? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick it up from where we were before. I'll just say, um, so you managed to avoid death three times on your first day in construction, actually, which is quite impressive. I think for anyone's first day in construction. What I'm also wondering about is what's. I mean, I don't know what the diversity on sites in Canada's like, and you know, were, were there many women around? Did you see many people like you? No, I think um, I think the stats for women on construction in construction in Canada is around like four percent. It's very very low. It's higher if you encompass like administrative. But I uh, yeah, it's I'm very used to being like the only woman on a crew or like outnumbered by hundreds of men. It's very very common. Four percent is really like. I mean, does that include engineers and things as well, or is that kind of on the other side of it? I think that's. Uh, and if you like encompass engineers and like uh, administrative, yeah, I think it goes up to like the nine or ten percent or whatever. Still I, I haven't checked the it? numbers in a while, but it's yeah, it's it's very low, and uh, it's slowly getting better when i started it was definitely a lot worse um i have been on a job where there was like there must have been at least six or eight women crane operators on one crew and it was awesome but it's pretty rare how the hell did they end up with six or eight women crane operators on one crew i don't know but it's like i always get men approaching me and they're like hey I worked with you out at this job and I'm like no I've never been at that job he's like no no like I worked <laughs> with you I'm like I was like okay we're not all the same like thanks for noticing us but I've literally never been to that job site <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, I, yeah no I, I've had that before as well <laughs> Yeah. No, there was another girl who had pink hair for a while which really threw people off <laughs> <laughs> I was working everywhere, apparently. But um, no, have you always found, have the men always been really respectful towards you, Ashley? Or have you ever had any issues on site? There is, it's split um, for the most part. For the most part, everybody's great, right? Like there's kind of just that human aspect of just wanting to be nice to people and it doesn't matter like gender, race or anything. And you know, those are just like solid people to be around. I've had messages on social media from men saying that if they ever see me on a job site, they're going to pull me out of my crane and smash my face in and I belong what? in the kitchen. Oh um, my God, Ashley. Yeah, I've had, uh, I've experienced um, very unwanted like advances at work from male supervision 
just people who think they could take advantage of like the gender imbalance and the gender roles and like being in powers of authority. I've, and then there's just the smaller scale stuff, like the microaggressions, the things that most men don't even realize they're actually doing. Like those little sexist comments that they think they're being nice and like jovial, but you're like, oh man, like, why'd you say that kind of stuff? But for the most part, most people are great. And, and I would I would echo that. I always kind of say, no, most people don't set out to upset you. They don't, yeah. they don't try. I mean, there are some people who definitely do set out to upset you, but most people, as in life, don't set out to upset you. And I think what always surprised me on site was the fact that some people didn't know how to behave around me, like they'd never seen a woman in their life, which I always <laughs> found really odd because uh, they definitely had a mother. And I don't know about sisters, and they definitely probably had grandmothers and things like that. So they've definitely seen women before, but it was, um, it was, and I know you've you've written about women in construction uh, quite a lot, and I know you're you're really passionate about it. Uh, as I guess we all are when we when we get to a certain point but where do you think the because obviously the numbers aren't changing the numbers aren't changing here in the UK and it's not because we're not getting more women in for me it's because we can't keep them we can't keep them in construction where do you think the problems lie it's certainly retention um I have quite a few girlfriends who were crane operators, but then they decided to become mothers. And there's nothing about the industry that's conducive to being an active mom and having children, like in terms of daycare or employers offering flexibility to their women operators. So they all had to branch off and find their own way out and like find a new way of making a living. So retention is it. And I mean, like, I didn't leave the industry because I was becoming a mom. I left the industry because I wanted to do my own thing. But a big part of that was my value of the work-life balance and just wanting more flexibility with my timeline and being able to do things that need to be done, like, you know, doctor's appointments and just really Life. simple things when you start booking a bunch of time off because you need this or that or in my case like needing a month off to heal from a surgery that I needed you know then it's just you become almost like inconvenient so I think the industry has a long way to go in terms of supporting women and making it more equitable for us to have equal opportunities because you know it's and just for people in general, like everybody has needs and things they need to tend to. And when you start skimping on that and not being true to yourself or self-care or doing the things you need to do in life because of work, that's when you end up with a lot of mental health issues. I agree. And I, I think it's really interesting how everything you're saying in Canada echoes everything exactly the same here. There's nothing different. Yeah. It's exactly the same. There's a lack of flexibility and understanding about people and i think you're right it, when you do when something does go wrong and you do need that time and you need to heal and you need you know time at home you realize you are just that number 
You are mm-hmm. just that person who goes there, pulls the levers, gets the job done. And I, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel when you stop doing that, your usefulness to the industry comes very clear. You're not as useful as you were. And nobody really cares how you're feeling or how you're doing or how sick you are or what you're doing. As, lo- as long as you're turning up and doing the job, anything else doesn't really matter. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. It's uh, And then you just end up neglecting yourself because you don't want to be a pain and you don't want to make your, your employer upset. And so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's frustrating. And there's so far to go in terms of teaching these employers how to actually retain their people while helping them maintain their mental health and work-life balance properly. It's sad, isn't it? And it, it, it is sad. And, you know, I think what's, what's saddest about that and about losing all these people out of industry, men and women, is the years of skill and effort and um, trades and everything that they've put. You pour your life into it. Whenever you pick up a trade or anything like that, you pour your life into it. You pour a bit of you into learning something. And the moment you can't do that, because of health or because of work or because of something else i think it's very sad that you have to pick yourself up and start again and there aren't that many solutions for people to try and find some because there's loads of things people can do and whether it's just reducing their hours so they can manage a bit more life and a bit you know working at the same time or whether they need the odd day off here and there and we can get them cover but we just seem really inflexible and unable to do that no definitely and i think we're just perpetuating that culture with everybody who comes new into the industry and just kind of instilling in these apprentices and green people that you know you have to be available and you have to say yes and you have to work 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 and so we're not doing anything to change this culture or these behaviors and it's just keeping the problem going and then a lot of those people if they were to decide like you know this isn't working for me I want more of a life then you know how much work were they doing in the background to try and develop other skills where they could find something else you know so it's it's just this major roundabout of imbalance that doesn't seem to be going anywhere new and I think it it, you know the, the strange thing is we're talking a lot about especially in the UK about skill shortages and mm. lack of people in industry and I, I truly believe that people coming into the industry or young people looking at professions they don't really want to work like that anymore they want to have that balance that life balance they want to work but they want to live at the same like most people do but we kind of forget about it sometimes but I think that that's what they're truly looking for and I, I'm not sure at the moment we can give it to them no we're definitely experiencing that same problem here there's the amount of people retiring is much greater than the amount of new apprentices coming into these trades. Um, So there's a lot of places are trying to like indenture more. I know like the operating engineers union here uh, in Alberta, they finally got the right to indenture their own apprentices. So like an employer doesn't have to do it, they can do it. So they're trying to get some more people into the industry that way. But I think you definitely nailed it. It's uh, a lot of the younger generations, they're not willing to just jump into 70 hours a week. And so I don't know how 
we're going to manage the long-term ramifications of workforce when people legit want the balance that they deserve. It's a it's a really tough one, and, it, and like you mentioned, circular, and it, it's a circular problem. It's just going to keep happening, and it's going to keep going round and round and round until there's not enough people to do these jobs, and we have to do something really drastic. Or I, I just hope it, it gets there before that. I'm going to try and pick it back up a bit <laughs> without without going too much into the woes of the crane operator <laughs> working on site. Ashley. Um, Favorite crane? Um, I think, okay, so this is a loaded question for me. Uh, <laughs> I knew it would be a tough one. <laughs> so my favorite crane to just like run day after day, like is would probably be the 100 ton Tadano. It's just super smooth and easy and like, the jobs are usually pretty versatile. You can like drive around to different spots on site and it's just a very comfortable, simple crane. But the favorite crane that I've ever ran that I had the most fun and just like overcoming challenges and like troubleshooting and figuring everything out on my own was that the Liebherr LR 1200. Um, That was just kind of like a pivotal crane for me because women in Alberta don't, get a lot of crawler time okay um it's usually like there's something about crawlers in alberta are viewed as like this coveted thing for really special people who put in all this extra work and are willing to like you know work 500 hours a week and (laughs) you know it's kind of like you don't see a lot of women getting seat time in crawlers and so when i got to operate that crane full time was the first and only time that's been offered to me in Alberta it happened all the time in BC, but here I was just like, yes, like it was just that moment that I'll never forget from my career. So that was definitely like my number one experience was the LR 1200. Amazing. And plus the Libra guys are like that because they sponsor the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll love that. <laughs> no, that. No, that's really, really cool. So do you, do you prefer mobiles or crawlers or do you think it, it doesn't necessarily make too much difference between the two? I mean, um, I don't, I don't think it makes much difference. I guess like if I had to pick one to go operate right now, I'd probably pick crawler, mm-hmm. which is funny. Cause I got, I actually got offered to get signed off on the crawler on the last project I was on. And I, I said no, but that was more so the political end of things. I just, I've been on jobs before where you get some seat time in the bigger crane and then some other men on site get a little jealous and then, you know, raise their concerns. And so I was like, oh, I'm just gonna avoid the drama and just stay in this like RT. But for the most part, I do like, they are so fun to run. I can't believe that men on site get jealous of my comments. Well, I can I can well believe, let's put it this way. I can well believe it, but I can't believe that it would happen. You know, know. do you know what I mean? Like it just shouldn't be a thing. I know it's, uh, it shouldn't be a thing, but unfortunately it's a thing. <laughs> and I can't, I can't believe about the abuse that you get online and think people threatening to pull you out of the crane and also, I, I mean, that's horrendous. I mean, I've had some online abuse, but nothing quite so 
scathing i guess that's that's horrific that yeah that's really horrible i'm sorry you went through that yeah i uh basically left facebook groups after that oh god <laughs> it, i mean it's horrific isn't it Cause we're trying to i mean we're both products of construction and we've both we, I, i'd like to say we've both done well out of it it's it's something that I, it definitely made my career being in construction and doing the things I've done. And it's it's definitely made me who I am. And I always feel kind of guilty, you know, because I, I, although I know it's brilliant and operating cranes is brilliant and what we do is fantastic. But I'm, am I selling a dream to someone who's going to come in and something horrible is going to happen to them? Yeah, that's... That's why I wrote that blog, 15 tips for women new to construction is because like you want to let people know that, yeah, being a crane operator is an awesome career, but like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and just say that everything's going to be fine every single day you go to work. So when I wrote that blog, it was like just letting women know like a career in construction is great. You can just gain confidence and like a skill and like makes really good money but this is a little bit more of the reality you're going to experience i loved that by the way when you posted that i reshared that that was um everyone should everyone should read that before they even consider joining the construction industry in cranes or otherwise it's um it's a really really honest read and a really honest look at what actually goes on yeah that's that was my goal and so it's actually going to be republished with my website my new nice. website here so i'll be able to host that again which is really exciting because the feedback i got from that was like it came worldwide it was it was unbelievable how far of a reach that blog got and what kind of an impact it made all over i was i couldn't believe it <laughs> Well, I think it's just, I mean, it just shows that wherever you are in the world, generally, all of our issues are the same, which is, yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a terrible thing, or but we all suffer from the same issues. And I think that's why it resonated, when you're saying it went all around the world, why it resonated with so many people, because sadly, all these things are happening to everyone all over and it's not like oh it's just in the uk oh it's just here it's just in canada it's not it's in most places yeah yeah so oh. yeah it's a it's a heavy topic <laughs> it is it is so ashley what's what's next for you so what what's the plan for your your new venture well i i'm just hustling every day with Construct YAG, um, just trying to network and even like cold email and reach out to a bunch of contacts and just trying to get my name out there and let people know that what I'm doing and that I'm available to help them out with their photography needs and like get their marketing material for their websites and social media. Um, I have a, a cool picture being published in the Lee Bear groundbreaking magazine coming up. So amazing. Congratulations. Exciting. Yes. Uh, love working with Lee Bear. Uh, I'm also going to go up uh, to Fort McMurray and do a shoot with them in a couple of weeks here again, too. So yeah, I've got exciting stuff on the horizon. Um, and yeah, just going to keep building off of that. Love it. And I, I, I'll keep a, 
an avid eye on it anyway because I, I think your photography is brilliant I think everyone who's anyone who's listening anyone who's listening should check it out because Ashley's photography is next level um Ashley I'm gonna end it there and I'm gonna ask you one question that I always ask everyone at the end of the interview what's one thing we can all do to make the construction industry a little bit better uh kindness and respect just it's so simple just treat everybody the way you'd want to be treated perfect i absolutely love it thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it you've given me some serious insight into canada and how ticketing systems work and things like that which i never had before so thank you so much thank you for having me